Listening to Play It Like It's Music, exploring the lives and craft of the people who play. Today we feature Maz Swift. She's one of a kind. She plays, sings, writes, and performs with total fire. I'm proud to call her a friend. She's been a member of Burnt Sugar, Brass Tree. She's got her own band called Maz Muse, and she also plays in a string trio called Here and Now. Let's jump in. State your name and instrument. Maz Swift. I'm a violinist and singer. How have you been today? Today was a day of alternating between uh, catatonia, is that a word? Catatonic state and flustered and flurried um, activity. I had a meeting, so that was good and important. I was able to make it a phone call instead of actually go there. So that made everything a lot easier for the day. I don't know. I'm all right. Well... It's really good to be here talking to you. Why do you play music? Uh, because it's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> um, I I wanted to. I had a really strong idea that it was what I was meant to do when I was very young before I had reservations about things. And I chased it down. And then when the reservation started to set in and the self-doubt and everything, there's plenty of my life spent thinking I was not ever going to be good enough to be a professional musician. But I always came back to it eventually. <laughs> I do it because I have been doing it. <laughs> and I really actually do love it. I just want to ask you, like in the very beginning, like let's go to the very first time you knew that you were hearing music as a little person, and then the first time you touched a musical instrument. Can you tell me about those moments? Wow. Um, I, I remember being aware of music, I guess, you know, you know, my parents always listened to it, you know, Ob not obviously, but they were, they're like real lovers of it. So, um, so it's just always been around. I think part of my, like my history and story as a violinist has been like me hearing this thing and being like, what's that? And they're like, that's a violin. And I'm like, oh, that's what I do. <laughs> and they're like, uh, what? <laughs> uh, a violinist plays the violin, right? Yeah, so I'm a violinist. <laughs> so they're like, okay, I guess we'll get you a violin eventually. <laughs> so, so no, no, like aspirational anything, like uh, just recognition, like oh, that's what it's going to be, and that's what it. It's not even what it's going to be. It's like that's what it is already. It's, yeah, it's. I'm a violinist right now, without my violin or knowing how to actually hold one or play one or anything. 
how long did it take you to actually get your hands on one? I think it was a couple years. It was definitely a couple years from me saying that and from it actually happening. I think they wanted to see if I was serious, but then I went around telling everybody I was a violinist. <laughs> <laughs> So. <laughs> I mean, you really did an end run around the whole process, didn't you? <laughs> Something. So that happens. But I feel like I have memories uh, as far as the first time I played an instrument. I, you know, my sisters, I have two older sisters and one younger. And my two older sisters were in the public school system as, were, as was I and my younger sister eventually. But they... Um, at that time, we grew up in the projects in Queens, in Long Island City, and the local elementary school had a music program, and they had recorders. They gave people plastic recorders, and they got to play these things, and I think I played my sister's recorders more than they did. Um, just to make sound, I really liked it. It's something that just happened quickly and easily. So I think, I feel like those, oh, and also the piano. My parents had a piano in the house, and my sister practiced piano. So between the recorder and the piano, I feel like one of those was the first musical instrument that played. And then violin came around, and then were you like one of those annoying kids that was just good right away? <laughs> Guilty is charged. <laughs> the future looked so bright. <laughs> and what age was that? Six. Six. So, yeah, no, that's super late. I mean, I started when I was seven, and, you know, it took me a while after that. Still taking some time, I but... Let me skip forward. Like, what was the first paying gig you did? Like, first time playing for money? Uh, well, first time playing for money was in the subway, but um, first paying gig was, I'm going to say, oh, definitely. It was with Alexis Hightower, she's a singer, songwriter, and she saw me playing in Washington Square Park and came up to me and asked me if I'd like to go with her band to Spain and <laughs> I had never been out of the country um, for music anyway and and I didn't even have a passport I got a passport <laughs> and yeah that was like my first gig my but the very first gig was like a trial run kind of thing with her at Joe's pub so yeah I started at Joe's pub and at this point you were how old uh I was it was 2000 I think so it was like 29 or 30 or something like that. were you doing other jobs in your 20s to pay rent um yes I worked in a body piercing shop and tattoo and then I left New York and lived on a farm for a couple of years it was an artist's sort of commune and that's actually I actually quit violin for a couple of years during the time before I left New York. And then when I went back to New York is when I picked up the violin again. So but yeah, and I was on that farm. And then when I came back, I was working in a mom and pop shop, like a office supplies shop as the buyer. <laughs> so you're like a legitimate adult. You're not like yeah, I was an actual adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean that in a in a derogatory way, but there's like people that just they start working in music right away and then they never know how to do normal people things and you're not one of those people right yeah I mean yeah that was yeah I hated it but I did it <laughs> yeah I, I hear you there do you want to play something sure let's see what we got 
now that we're not in the subway anymore and we've done <laughs> the road and we've done Carnegie Hall, what do we got? Maz, what do you got? Yeah, I got, got something for you. I have two tunes. <laughs> I hate that you have like bass strings on your violin. That pisses me off. <laughs> okay. This is the Mark Wood, right? The Viper? Yes. I will never call it a flying V fiddle. <laughs> the not flying V not fiddle. Is it? Is it? It's probably peaking.
Nice. <clears throat> so, I, I know you got some classical in your background. Mm -hmm. At what point did you start improvising? Was it right away, or did you have to be given permission or learn how to do that well, or something? I had to be given lots of permission and time. You know, my I had a boyfriend at Juilliard who was a violinist also and really into the idea of improvising. He didn't, he wasn't very good at it per se, but he was free. So it was like helped him, you know, he didn't have that fear that a lot of people have. So it was interesting to me. He was actually roommates with Dave Eggar, who you know is like a killing uh, improviser. We're going to talk to Dave. Awesome. So, yeah, so... And I, I always really admired Dave for that, too. So I thought about it, and then I tried it once, and it was sounded terrible, of course. So <laughs> I never did it again, <laughs> which is the classical musician's approach to improv. Um, but no, that I, I didn't really get into improvisation until I went to that farm and lived on the farms. It was um, part of their philosophy was improvisation. And that was like, that was a revelation, actually. What about this farm? What happened at the farm? <laughs> What happened at the farm? That's a great title for my <laughs> bio. Um, I what happened at the farm? It was they had this whole philosophical like component about um, trying to. They were trying to create a new kind of culture and like um, like what's the word like prototype it for the world. You know, um, one that was based on collaboration and non competition and pure honesty and. Um, life artistry, like even down to like, you know, the guy who sweeps the floors makes it an art of, you know, uh, so everybody has purpose and meaning and value. And was this a religious place? No, but they, I, well, no, but it was very dogmatic. <laughs> and it wasn't the Amish either. And it was not the Amish, but it was cool because I got a lot of skills, not just, um, like, you know, physical, like being able to do things, like learning how to do things with my hands. And I, I worked with goats. I was a goat herd for a large portion of that time. It was amazing. I freaking love goats. Goats are awesome. <laughs> They're little assholes <laughs> like me, but I get to be the boss asshole. <laughs> so we get along just fine. <laughs> Um, no, but I did, I learned a lot of stuff and I learned a lot about like, about, you know, kind of my attitude toward life actually affecting my life, which sounds kind of like something that you might know, but I kind of didn't. And so I learned a lot about that and, and was able to sort of take more control of my life because of it. I'm, I'm sure of that. So the, the farm itself was weird. It was, it had all these high ideals and they didn't really put a lot of them into practice and it was not a fair place and it was not a friendly place in a lot of ways and a lot of shit went down that's just like ridiculous and like bordering on truly horrible like awful but at the same time like there I got a lot out of it and kind of really became I feel like that's where I really became an, an adult in a way like responsible for my own actions even though I was like you know 23 years old or 24 at that point but like became aware of the responsibility I know some people who've had some weird experiences moving into, I mean, there's like any number of alternative model communities around the world. And some friends of mine moved to the desert in Arizona, some Buddhist thing, and some people died like it was rough, you know. And then and we got like Jonestown as well. Like there's all kinds. There's all kinds. Oh, yeah. So that's another thing we have in common because I wasn't really gigging seriously until, you know, around 30 and after 30. So, okay, cool. Let's start a society. We'll model it. <laughs>
Goats are big improvisers, right? <laughs> yes, they are, but they're also very predictable. <laughs> they're awesome. I have to say, <laughs> go back to goats. I mean, whenever I think about them, I think of they're just how jerky they are, and how they'll just like kick your shit over if they <laughs> just just to do it. They're little assholes. Anyway. Yeah, they had a band on the phone, and and I played goat band. Yeah, goat band. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's where I started trying it out, and I think the difference was in my mind, improvisation had to do with jazz. Like you couldn't separate the two. I couldn't separate the two in my thinking. So when I so what sounded terrible to me was that I didn't sound like a jazz musician. You know, like I didn't have the accent. For you know, so to speak. So, at I mean, you didn't have a wealth of cliches. <laughs> Again, no comments. <laughs> um, yeah, but also I didn't have the vocabulary. I just didn't have like, you know, I didn't have like a harmonic understanding of a jazz musician. I'd never been, you know, I'd been exposed to it a lot, but not, I had not studied it. And then when I realized when you had to study it, then I really just ran the other way because I was tired of studying but yeah, so on the farm, what was cool about it was that they were improvising like rock songs. You know, they were just like people who played rock in in previous bands, and so that was less intimidating to me. And then I could just kind of put my sound on top of it, and I started experimenting with electric violin and effects and things. So, um, and then like it just went to a whole other level when I met Greg Tate, and he put me into Burnt Sugar. And then I feel like. If I if like being born as a musician was burnt sugar, then living on that farm was like the gestation period. You know, like I just started like it, it started happening, and then it really started happening.
you have a way of improvising which just wherever it starts it always goes somewhere and like there's a there's a, just a pure imagination that takes hold I've seen you play in a bunch of different settings and that thing is always there where it's like wherever you're, you are, at some point it, it becomes a Maz thing. <laughs> and it always fits too. So it's not like you lose your mind while you're playing, but there's definitely like a freedom that you have that I'm curious. Like, do you, did you was there a point where you started feeling free? Are you still waiting to feel free? Or like, what's your relationship to, to freedom when you're playing? Wow. I think that it's a lot like meditation when people say, I, I, I'm not good at meditation, but there's no such thing. <laughs> you know, it's just like whether or not you can like sit still and be okay with all the shit running around in your brain. I feel very free in it. And I feel very like it was the greatest education being part of Burnt Sugar, to be honest. Like, I think that's really where it was like a profound sense of like safety and um, value, like everything, like it, like it didn't matter what I put out. It was like valued and part of a, like a really important thing that was happening. So maybe that's what gives me the confidence now. I feel like that is, that was an experience that like really went inside me on a cellular level. So now I still have shit running through my brain. Like just now I was like, oh, I think I just did that slide for the gazillionth time. And I really like, it feels, but it feels so good to play it. But then I listen back later and I think that sounds terrible and I should stop doing it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I have those thoughts, but I, like they really, they're so small and they're so like, they don't have any effect actually on what I'm doing. I don't think, yeah. you know. There's a strident flavor, which I, as a cello player, I associate that with violinists, and I don't generally like it. But um, if someone does get up with the right attitude, and they're like, I'm doing this, I'm saying this, and you know, it's like, whatever, you start in the Brahms concerto, I get it, you know? So like, there's, I have a stereotype about violin players that does that. You definitely bring like a violinistic, strident tone, but you do stuff with it that no other violinist does but you know i know creative violinists and a lot of them kind of abandon the stridency so like if you know you know fiddlers and fiddlers will fall back on their fiddle chops classical people will fall back on their classical chops if they if they're feeling like they need to prove themselves they'll they'll fall back on something familiar and you know you have all that stuff in your chops too but i never get the sense that you're falling back on something that's really cool <laughs> that's very cool because i don't think that I am, although I do think I there are licks that I play, like certain patterns that my fingers fall in all the time, which drive me crazy because I'd love to just do something unexpected to my to myself. But I think the goal is, the 100% goal is um, making something cool. <laughs> or like, uh, I want to say self-expression, but it's so corny, but like, I really feel like that's the most important thing to me is like, just putting out some music that I like, that feels good to do, that hopefully other people like. It's nothing unique about that statement whatsoever, but that's, that's what I'm thinking about rather than trying to think of licks and things like that. Thank you. 
what do you think that I'm asking you questions now? What do you think improvisation as a musical tool or style or like genre <laughs> serves? I don't know. I don't even consider myself that much of an improviser. Like I don't blow on the cello, which is why I asked you that stuff. Cause like you really blaze on the violin and I know people who really improvise I compose things. I w I'm more of a producer and a songwriter than I am an improviser. So I'm always thinking of doing something that I can repeat. Mm. Like I'm trying to build a little structure that I can you know, maybe build a vehicle for myself. So I, I write a song in terms of I want to take this to another place. So I build it ahead of time, make <laughs> prototypes or whatever, <laughs> and then I test it out. And then at some point I have a song that I know I can right. bring places. Um, so, but there's a lot of advanced planning that goes into that and construction. It's not an improv, it's, it's not an improvisation. So in that phase, I might improvise to come up with stuff. But if I come up with something I like, I'm going to work with that thing and right. compose with that. And it's really rare that I'm improvising on a stage. So yeah, that's one of the things about you that blows me away. It's like, you just got the improvising thing. Like you will tell a story. Like if you give Maz the spotlight, she's going to do something with it. If you give me the spotlight, I'm going to take a minute to get used to the, you know. You're going to be grumpy about it. Yeah, well, not, not necessarily grumpy, but definitely a, I'm going to have to get my bearings, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and then by the time I've gotten my bearings, usually people have moved on. So I never really, <laughs> you know, the improvising thing never took off. I'm always dreaming that someday it will. But. I, think it, I think it will, but you have to do it. You have to do it. Like you have to do it all the time. Like that's the only way your 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 thing is gonna take off. I think you have a lot of potential that way. I can't wait to see it. Ah, oh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> well, it always surprises me when you say you're not not so much of an improviser because I think of you as a complete musician, oh. and and I think that yeah, I I know that you would you'll be so so tasty once you just get comfortable with it. I think for me, just personally, I have a thing with improvising where. At some point, my reach exceeds my theoretical and technical grasp mm. too much. You know, you should always be playing a little bit beyond your abilities just to keep that fire burning. But I always tend to just go off the rails a little bit and then I get lost. Mm. So, like, I've, I've had plenty of great moments improvising on stage. It's not like that has right. never happened yeah, for me. But in terms of my feeling like an improviser, like, I feel like until I know more of the functional harmony, you know, ins and outs and voice leading and things like that. And then just like knowing how to keep track of my motivic development and formal, like, yeah, like there's, like, do you think I have any grasp of any of that shit? Yeah. I don't even know what that means. Half right, half. right, right. So, <laughs> but like, mean? there's that side of thing. And then if there's other people who I dig, who just have that fire burning and it's like coming out of them right. and they're not keeping track of Jack, you know, they're just playing and it's working. I've never really been one of those people. So I'm like, in terms of being cultivated as hell, I'm not them. And I'm also not burning up in that way. I categorize you as a burner and it works great. So like you don't need the other stuff. Um, <laughs> I want more. I do want more of it to be honest. But I, I know like I don't have the. I don't want it enough to like do the work that it takes to get all of that. Although I admire it when people do, and I kind of use it to beat myself up <laughs> and when it, that I don't do it. But part of me feels like I really just want to play music. I don't want to study it anymore, and I want it to come out the way that it comes out as me. So.
play your ass off and you work your ass off. Like you're, you're legit. So speaking of work that you don't do, tell me about practicing. Does it happen? How does it happen? Why and when and where and what? Um, usually it happens, uh, because I have a specific thing coming up that I want to prepare for. So I just did a solo show. And so I had to put a set together. I was thinking about just going out and just improvising the entire show. Um, but then I felt like, well, maybe just have like a couple of outlines and like that, that thing that I just played is something that's been like a blueprint that I've had for a long time that I, that is different every time I play it. So I'll get something together for that reason. I practice a lot of, like when I have a classical concert, I practice a lot for that because it's something that you just, it just requires so much freaking time. Do you do a lot of classical gigs? Um, not a ton, but I do at least one a year because I play in a string quartet. So, uh, well, it's not, it, I play for like a chamber music organization that always has a string quartet um, concert in their series every year. And I'm always part of that quartet, so. I want to go to it. Which one is it and where? <laughs> it just happens. So yeah, the practicing happens less as uh, a thing to like just become a better <laughs> instrumentalist and more as like make sure I'm prepared for this next concert. So I'm, I'm basically playing to the test. <laughs> right, so you, and you've played through some good tests, like you don't get into Juilliard by accident, do you? Uh, you don't get into Juilliard by accident, it turns out. <laughs> so there was a time when you were like heavily practicing. There was, yeah. I feel like yeah, I mean, I, I definitely. I feel like I didn't practice as much as I, as my counterparts, all the other people that were there. And honestly, I feel like I mostly got into Juilliard because of my orchestral audition. I had a fine solo audition, but I had a lot of experience in an orchestra. And the stuff that they gave me to sight read, I had actually played already as second violin. They gave me first violin parts, but they always give you like some sight reading thing. And that was very strong because I knew the music and I had been exposed to it. And music sticks in my head forever. So like, even if it's something that my parents particularly liked, I think that was one of the pieces that I had to play. That so was just like, it came to me very quickly. So I had a very good orchestra audition, <laughs> better than the solo thing, I think. And I'm pretty sure that's why I got in anyway. So. so what should a newer player avoid completely? God. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say having sex with your bandmates. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably something to... <laughs> To avoid, <laughs> um, what to avoid? I don't know. But what I tell people to do is, and I think I've actually, I think I heard somebody say this to you already, but is um, say yes to everything. Like literally say yes to everything. And then learn how to say no. Because <laughs> here I am like 17 years later, like still saying yes to everything. I'm just realizing now that you, you can't forever. But like if you want, like when you get, when you're getting started, that's the most important thing. Like fuck all that, like all the, all that stuff. Like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm good enough or I don't think I can do this yet or that yet or I'm not ready or any of that. Just do it. Just do it. That's good. <laughs> I can use that. Um, 
Matt Swift, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you, Trevor Exter. <laughs> All right. Over and out. That was killer. Call that a session. That was Maz Swift, violinist, composer, singer, band leader, raconteur, raconteurist, recountationist, <laughs> no idea, and general force of nature. Thanks to Maz for her time and for being and doing all those things. You can find her at mazmuse.com. Her Twitter and Instagram handle is mazmuse. And you can also buy her record, this record, underneath me right now. Go buy it. I did. That's our show. Thank you for listening. This is Play It Like It's Music. Thank you so much for listening to the show. It means everything to have your ears and support. Each time you pass the link to your friends, review us on the web, and help out financially. These are the players I admire the most. And as a working musician myself, I'm always looking to get to know them in a deeper way. Find out stuff that might help me become a better musician. I love sharing these moments with you and reading your feedback and questions at our website, playitlikeitsmusic.com, where you can browse other episodes and support the show. We are 100% listener-funded. It's how we can have the conversation we need to have in an age when we're all contending with a mutating professional landscape, jacked revenue streams, and a lot of noise out there in the culture. These are exciting times. It's almost as if the simple act of playing an instrument is a revolutionary one. We don't draw any lines between scenes or styles. So if you haven't done it already, head over to the website and join the community. You can use PayPal or make a recurring pledge through Patreon, where we offer a selection of merch and rewards. As always, thank you for listening, and remember to play it like it's music. I'm Trevor Exeter. Thanks for listening.